When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, uh, uh, I'm feeling a little jazzy today. I, th- I think you might be as well. Is this true? You're, you're feeling like dark, but jazzy, right? Like very you don't feel dark. Good. Like you don't feel excited. No, this is true. I mean, usually, you know, it's it's you know fair to say we we do this podcast. The movies we tend to focus on, even if it's something one of us or both of us doesn't like, we're usually pretty passionate about yeah. wh- what we're going to talk about, and we 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 do usually side on the you know err on the side of positivity if we're into a movie but uh yeah I'm, I'm feeling dark and this episode might just be loose and a bit rambling but um that's because we just kind of we you know we want to talk about we want to talk about things we want to dig into to movies but not necessarily just plain old review a few and and do that yeah. so yeah we've we've done this before on this podcast um you know we're 134 episodes deep into this podcast we've had a few of these but um, usually it comes in cycles like this where, uh, uh, the reality is there's just not that much. We're, we're in the middle of July right now, just about, and there's just not that much movie wise to be excited about as far as I'm concerned. And I, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we call these state of the industry talks, which I think this is probably part three. Um, I think so. It's at least three. Yeah. Yeah. I think one happened sometime around like 2012, 2013 and, uh, just, you know, the prophecies that were given to us by, you know, Steven Soderbergh and his now, like, you know, kind of famous speech. And then Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were kind of forecasting what was to come of the theatrical experience and sort of movies at large. And, um, you know, we're watching it, like, you know, manifest gradually. But, you know, it seems to be kind of speeding up in terms of, like, the, the shift and the, the sort of the the inescapability of that shift you know that like as much as we as like moviegoers and excitable moviegoers would like to steer it into certain directions where there's still a variety of types of films that'll be able to play theatrically still it feels like that's narrowing down and even the movies that feel kind of like monotonous in their domination mm. of theaters at large like those seem to be also kind of suffering <laughs> You know, like, uh-huh. and don't make me root for fucking garbagey movies that you know are are monopolizing the the terrain. But it's just like, oh, that one didn't do well. Oh no, like what? What is doing well? Right. Yeah. It's worrisome. Yeah. Suddenly you're like, fingers crossed. Come on, Tarzan, you can do it. <laughs> make yeah. some, oh, make here, some money. Here's the variety we need, except that it is it. You know, we we sort of like to champion the the smaller more innovative edgy movies but like all of a sudden when you're when you're in a sort of homogenized landscape you're rooting for stuff you never thought you'd be rooting for i'm rooting for the fast and the furious movies i'm like it's a actual like it's a it's a franchise that developed post 2000 which those are rare um, so I'm like, I'm championing it for that reason. It's a genuinely multicultural cast, which like it does, didn't seem strained because it happened naturally before the sort of, uh, effortful sort of turn towards it. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as strategic mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a genuine multicultural ensemble experience, but it's like, I'm championing the fucking fast and the furious movies. What's happening? And you know, <laughs> This is we true about that, but like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's what what's going to happen, you know, when the gargantuan movies, which studios seem to they're convinced they're the only ones that have a chance anymore. Mm. Like we've talked about this before, where it's like if you're going to spend twenty five million, you might as well spend fifty million, and then if you're going to spend fifty, and it just keeps going up and up in this sort of high stakes poker nightmare. 
and uh, and so like these movies, they're too big to fail or failing, and now we're just like you know the 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 films that mostly that are kind of like bombing this summer are sequels that are not necessary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and <laughs> they're like, and like those come from uh, movies that were surprises, like. Oh, now you can see me. What a what a fun surprise of a movie. <laughs> Never saw it. Uh, <laughs> or Neighbors. You know, I enjoyed Neighbors. Neighbors did not need to have a sequel. Um, and then both of those movies didn't do terribly well. And so it that comes in like so now the the movies that are surprises, you know, a quote unquote like original concepts, um, like the those start to be looked at skeptically as like not the cash cows that they, they want. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's shaky times. It is. It's shaky times. It's it's the I think the most worrisome thing for me on a sort of a grand level is all these sequels and these retreads, the sort of typical fodder of the summer. You know, that this is nothing new, this slate of movies that are coming no. out. But the the really the kind of consistency with which most of them are underperforming. I mean, you listed a few. There's also the Alice in Wonderland sequel that really. There's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel that's underperformed. There's there's a lot more. It's been the sort of rule of thumb of this summer is like one or a couple movies, basically from Disney, are are kind of sucking up all the box office or other family fare, and then these other movies are really like underperforming is the word and it's bad for movies in general because the stu- I, th- I think the the big studios that are releasing these movies with all the most marketing and they're getting the most attention if they're if most if they're good and if they get people excited i think that you can argue there's probably a ripple effect that leads people to want to go to the theater more and maybe even see something else maybe not i mean i don't think people if they had a great experience going to see like half the big movies at the summer this year would all be going to see the lobster in turn but i think you could argue that there's probably a positive ripple effect for like the excitement of going to the theater yeah if the movies are good and or just if if they're not even so much that they have to be good but like worthy of us giving a shit about you know well we were talking before we actually started on mic about like how that that excitement that happens that you want more like when you see a film that really sort of like triggers you you want you want to know you want you want more from that filmmaker or that some of the actors in that ensemble or you want to see the things that inspire that filmmaker it just it causes this uh this like this hunger and this interest and it piques this curiosity whereas i feel like the movies that even when the even the ones that are doing well they just kind of satiate an expectation. They give you what you want, the sort of like focus grouped fan service experience. And it's like, well, that was nice. And in terms of like family fare, which is the only thing that seems to be dominating, they give you what the families are expecting. They like hit all the notes and like that's it. And that doesn't really spark or excite a, a, a necessary – like a – a curiosity and an insatiability in terms of that curiosity. Mm. Like it just kind of gradually deadens you to something while kind of placating you temporarily. Mm. You know what I mean? And like they're, they're, you know, we're, we seem to be championing movies that like, if they were given an opportunity this, this year I'm talking about like the movies that we've championed the hardest, like, you know, Green Room, Midnight Special, The Nice Guys. Mm-hmm. There are these movies that, like, when playing in front of an audience, it's, like, it's incredible. It plays them perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it it surprises people. And, like, and these aren't drawing an audience. And, like, we're scratching our heads all year about this because we see, like, I've seen it work. I've seen it. I've seen The Nice Guys play in front of a packed to the gills room. And it plays crazy. And it's like, I've heard people see it in a room full of like five people. And they're like, yeah, it was good. It's just like, shit, like why, like, why isn't the support there? And as gradually there seems to be a, a cheapening effect. Whereas like if these movies have no fate, but to be relegated to only being caught VOD 
DVD, just like in the in the whatever the modern rendition of the home video market is now. I think that's a cheapening effect, and they're regarded as such. Mm. And so everything sort of pools into this dollar bin of insignificance, where it's like if if you start to look at things in that way, there isn't an excited cultural conversation about it. Exactly. Exactly. And like if, if you're we've talked about the lonely look you get when you bring up a movie. You're like, have you seen this? And people are like, no. And they're like, I don't know what that is. Which is like the millennial death rattle. Like, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Good for you. Enjoy your ignorance. Um, But like, it, it just like, so, so film festivals seem to be the only way that like, they're the last sort of gatekeeper for movies of a certain size and a certain kind of energy and intensity. Mm-hmm. So Green Room played festivals. Midnight Special played a few. Um, nice Guys didn't. It played con, but that seemed to be, like, more just, like, it, it didn't seem to need to, you it was know? A premiere, just one of those big splashy premieres, yeah. Right. But so it's like, that's that seems to be because that's still a gatekeeper kind of like culture. It's a curated thing. These movies are elected and you and I do it where we're like, what's playing at Sundance? Like, Oh, that sounded good when I read about it playing at Sundance. And like, if people start to feel like even all of those movies are just doomed to the dollar bin of insignificance, then it's like, then, then that air of excitement starts to sort of dim, you know, like that, that sparkle starts to fade. Is that an Everclear reference? I'm not sure. <laughs> it was beautiful anyway, nonetheless. But, so there was an article that came out recently about The Neon Demon by filmmaker Alex Ross Perry. Mm. Um, and he, he was just talking about how maligned it is and how, what a rare experience it is, which it is. Like, I have problems with the movie. I think the last leg of it is ridiculous, and I think that it's more of a teenage goth temper tantrum that it is a masterful work by the end of it (laughs) but it is a rare experience it takes you into a terrain where you're like if i if i'm provoked negatively good like good like i'm maybe i would maybe i then after walking out pissed off from the movie want to steer the experience into something that I find more satisfying. Maybe I want to watch Mulholland Drive instead, even mm. though I had problems with that. Like it it's sort of it's still even though I walk out feeling kind of like grumpy about it, it still spurs me and provokes me and I it gives me that sort of insatiable hunger for more, even if it's more in a different sense from what I got from that movie. Mm-hmm. And so his conclusion was that like if this movie is kind of considered a failure financially does that basically toe tag it into like not being discovered later by like, you know, future generations. And I just worry that like, that's the case with things that have been coming out for years now mm-hmm. because there's such a glut of content. Like we're, we're living in this time where things are getting so homogenized in the theatrical experience, but there still is like, an insane amount of films coming out all the time. Yeah. To the point where, you know, the New York times couldn't cover all of them. They're like, we're not going to, we're not going to review these movies anymore. We can't. Um, and so it's just this like glut. And in order to break through the noise of that, I think that's why people are just like, when, when they can't understand what a movie is or is trying to do, mm-hmm. they're not going to see it. They're yeah. not going to be surprised. Because there's so much competing. They're like, give me the thing that I know 100% what it is, which is most likely a completely simplistic and sort of dead inside thing. Something that you can easily tune out of while you yeah. watch it on your TV, for sure. Yeah. And it's, I, I, it might, maybe it's confusing for, for some listeners when we like, like we will focus on a movie like something like Neon Demon that yeah not I mean we both had plenty of issues with that movie in our last yeah. episode we and <clears throat> uh being fans of Nicholas Winning Refn we anticipated the movie but it it sort of underwhelmed but I I think it might be confusing why we would want to continue talking about that and I think that kind of it occurs to me that most people just aren't viewing movies in that way anymore it and it it, it, it it's like Oh, people are saying this movie's bad or even the ones like us that give it 
give it enough time. You know, we give it a yeah. we give it a shot and we debate it and talk about it. Like we're sort of in the middle. That's not none of those are things that are going to lead people to want to seek that movie out later on Amazon when it starts streaming, which I think is going to happen pretty soon because Neon Demon has been just pretty much yanked from almost all theaters uh, in the country in just two weeks. And another part of that article uh, that Alex Ross Perry, the essay that he wrote, which was it was on the talk house, but. Um, we did feature it on the playlist as well, the playlist.net, where where you can find all our podcasts right now. Um, uh, I just had to get that plug in there. Um, uh, he, he talked about how he like if this movie is perceived as a failure and it, it's already, you know, at the box office, it's made over a million dollars. It It's considered a failure when you look at how it did based on how many screens it was released in. But he, he makes the point that it, it seems that like Refn, the distributors, Amazon, all of them, do they even really give a shit? Like is box office at this point, just the sort of, you know, the first leg. And for a movie like Neon Demon, it can get, or, you know, Alex Ross Perry's movies, which get brief theatrical releases and then end up on VOD. Yeah. Like it's, it's like more of the marketing for the eventual future life of this movie. But is that, like how can everybody can everybody can all the distributors all the people that have put money into something like neon demon can they all just throw up their hands and be like we don't really care about the box office like it's all bonus like how so well how many times can they do that exactly right like how many times can a24 gamble and you know like they they release it strictly theatrically for the most part like that's their precedent Mm mm-hmm and then, and then it comes out eventually because they they clearly, as a distributor, honor the theatrical experience. And it's like they're I don't know what their ratio is, but like they've they've had that Ex Machina was one of their hits. Oh yeah, um, the Witch. Lobster seems to be doing well. <clears throat> yeah, Amy. the lo- oh Amy was was big last year. Yeah, the Witch uh, earlier this year was also one of their most successful movies. Yeah, and the Lobster is the Lobster is the one shining light of this year for me in terms of a movie that we loved that is crossing over in a relative way. Like yeah. it's, it's nearing 9 million as an independent release. That is mind blowing to me that that movie has made that much money. So well, I think we're going to get into, I, I think it shares uh, some similarities with the, the sort of main review we're going to focus on this episode, which is Swiss army man, mm-hmm. which is another a two four movie. But I think as the sort of like middle class audience, like the people who aren't just going for the the huge movies that seem more inclined to smaller films, like they're kind of dying off and by and large aren't going to like movies in the theater as much, um, except if it's these weird kind of like curveball movies where it's like it's got to be seen to believed kind of a, a pitch where mm-hmm. we've talked about it before where it's like, how do you pull this off? How do you pull out of the nosedive of the sort of ridiculousness of the pitch? And like, that's where the sort of hail Mary experience of the filmmaking comes into play. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what people are, are going to see. Basically. They're like, what? It's a movie where people are in a resort. And if they don't meet a match within a given amount of time, they get turned into an animal of their choosing. Huh? Like, <laughs> how is that going to work? Like, how do you, and so like those those are the same way that like if people are only going to go to the movies if they can see uh you know th- like buildings obliterated for two and a half hours like yeah, i've never only- seen that before <laughs> yeah like i'm only going if i can watch the world end over and over and over and over and over and over and over again okay otherwise i'm just gonna stay home okay <laughs> understand it's the same way but just on a much smaller scale mm. and like what's 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 disheartening is that like there needs to be a variety in any art form. There needs to be like a great variety, and like that variety is getting so it's marginalized to the point where uh, I think th- like money doesn't have to be the entire hindrance, but filmmaking is can be an incredibly expensive, taxing art form. Mm. And when, like, something is given enough of a sort of, like, generous, like, you know, like, even on a small movie, like, a million dollars makes a huge deal, you know? And, like, and you can see it on screen and that, like, if you you can sense a movie is all there and there was no punches pulled, there's no compromises, 
Like, I think Green Room is a movie that, like, by art house standards, like, it was a $5 million movie. Mm-hmm. Like, that's nothing compared to the gigantic movies that are crowding the landscape. But it's like, that's, you know, that's not cheap. But it's all there. Like, all of it's there. And you, like, it, you don't want for anything else. You know, like, every scene matters. Every scene is realized to its brutal, like, beautiful, like, extent you know like nothing you don't need anything more from that movie it gives you its all and so like if you feel that cheapening and you feel movies limited even if you don't want to believe that money has to limit the experience like it does and like the less these movies have a chance the less money they're going to get and the more the landscape is just going to shrink and like that's why we're looking at the summer we're looking at where it's like you know, when we were kind of staring down the barrel of like, what do we talk about? Like in the next episode, like the month is a fucking wasteland of like, <laughs> there's the new next Ghostbusters movie, which like once you and I have caught up with it, like it's a possibility we could flesh out an episode from it. But other than that, it's just sort of like crickets. Totally, you know? totally. And the Ghostbusters one is a good example because this is the movie right now as we record has been where basically the movie culture is this is the one that everybody's talking about quote unquote they're, chi- they're all chiming in about exactly and okay i guess for good reason okay the the movie has had um uh a lot of pre-release sort of uh ugliness revealed on a certain very small hateful minority that uh was either you know easily labeled as misogynist because they didn't want a female version of their precious ghostbusters or just honestly just people that are so in love with Ghostbusters in general that they just don't want a new version of it. They only want their version that they know, both of which are ridiculous, but yet that has continued the conversation through the summer. And it's what everybody's reflecting in their reviews. And what do you know? The reviews are sort of like, you know, hit or miss the movie. I've read more negative or seen more negative notices on the movie Mm -hmm. um, than positive, but it's, I mean, I, I but the, just yeah, but the fact that like that's the dominant conversation, whereas right. like the original Ghostbusters in 1984, over 30 years ago, like despite how big each actor potentially was in the sort of comedic world, the movie was kind of a surprise, you know. Like it mm-hmm. it it came out the same weekend as Gremlins, and both movies were hits, and there were surprises. Like they had very successful people at the helm of them. Steven Spielberg produced Gremlins, but they still were like movies where people weren't really sure what they were going to get necessarily. And like Ghostbusters, the original is like it's a movie that doesn't present itself as a comedy. It's like it's it is a comedy, but it's like, it looks kind of like a straight movie, you know, like it looks like a straight kind of atmospheric horror movie. And then it has this comedic ensemble and it hits these comedic notes and it's hilarious. That's a surprise. And now everything is just so like, so labored over. So just like, so calculated that it's just like, we're, I I mean, I kind of, I, I, did, I don't hold Ghostbusters as, like, sacred necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great movie, but it's just, like, I'm, I'm not going to – I'm not one of those – like, I'm not a slave to the idea that it can only exist as that original form. Exactly. But I – in like, I, I don't – I guess I'm going to have to see the movie to realize, like, oh, this movie had to exist because it had an insanely great take on what – was inspiring to the filmmakers and to the cast and to the writers. Like they, they, this needed to come back to life, you know, like Mm -hmm. I don't really get that sense from the trailer or from the reviews. Like it just seemed to be like to plug a new ensemble into something that's so overly familiar culturally. And it's just like, I don't, I don't. So I, I might side with people who are like, just do your, like, just do something original. You know, like just just take this same ensemble and approach something that doesn't have the baggage of like people's kind of slavish, you know, like allegiance to something. Yeah. And I, I think the studios are seen for the most part, everybody except Disney basically are seen that like at least <laughs> one one thing I can take away that it's at least 
maybe heartening in a dark, twisted sort of way is that I, I don't want movies to fail, but right. seeing that a lot of these of the typical summer fair are underperforming hopefully can cause a ripple effect in another way of getting, like you said, uh, all art form needs variety. Well, you know, movies are also a business, you know, a major yeah, big business. business and you, yeah. And you need a variety in business as well. You can't just keep pumping out the same product. I think really what I'm seeing that is heartening this summer is the audience seems to be smarter and it like they, they're the knowledge, the information is out there, you know, like you can, you can keep up on a movie or know about what people are saying very easily. And I think you're seeing a result of that and it's hopefully we see some change as a result, but if we get the slate, I don't know what's coming out next summer off the top of my head, but I bet it's pretty similar. And how long will it take for, if, if this underperforming summer is going to cause people to change their release slate, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but you do need the variety. If your business is going to be successful too, because I don't think people want the same thing all the time. And I think that's where like at, on a microcosmic level, that's what a two four does, what the industry used to do as a whole. Like not every movie had to be the hit, like the, the not every movie has to be, its own tent pole. Like mm-hmm. you could have a big movie and that could sustain the little movies that were seen as a way to k- kind of keep a spice of life alive, you know, like a, a variety intact, you know, like that was, that was a way to do it. Like in the seventies and eighties would be that like you would, yeah, you would have hits that could sustain the the company basically. And the company would continue making, because they didn't necessarily know what was going to be huge. Like they didn't know that Ghostbusters 1984 style was going to be as big as it was. They didn't know like Paramount didn't know that Beverly Hills they had a feeling cuz like Eddie Murphy's star was on the rise, but they didn't know that was going to be a fucking runaway hit. And like now it just feels like they're trying to steer it so clearly that it's like yeah, the only course is doom if you're so beholden to like a system that's fickle because audiences will change and so you have to take chances otherwise like you're there's there is no chance you know what i mean Mm -hmm. uh i I could you want me to start reading off the titles from next summer (laughs) do it like because i'm just curious so like inevitably there's a marvel movie coming I'm sure. Yeah, that's the first one I read. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, first first summer release in May. Volume 2, huh? All right. All yep. Right. All right. Annabelle 2, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, going into June, we've got Bad Boys 3, Wonder <sighs> Woman, uh, World War Z 2. People want it. They do. They want <laughs> World War Z, the sequel, because they, they can't remember the first one. Um... Terminator, wait, what? Transformers, the last night at the end of June. Despicable Me 3. Uh, end of July, we have Spider-Man. I don't know. It looks pretty similarly it bleak. It does. It does. You know, the movie. It's, it's, it's funny how, like, um, you brought up that Universal had an interesting summer last year and a successful one with yeah. not, not only the Furious, um, uh, Furious 7, but... They had straight out of Compton. Compton. Yeah. Yeah. Train wrecked um, or train wreck. What, what, there was an, uh, I think there's another title. The sequel's that, called train wrecked. <laughs> that will be the sequel. Yes. Inevitably. Mm. But they were rewarded for reaching out and finding audiences that were hungry for something else. Yeah. And, yeah. And they were rewarded for that. And it's just funny. Like, um, I know we've brought it up before about like, um, you know, Christopher Nolan has made some original blockbusters like uh, Inception was the big one, but right. everybody immediately was like, nope, it's just an anomaly. Like nobody wants to jump on that bandwagon of like, what if we give good filmmakers with an actual vision of something, um, quote unquote, you know, original, fresh and see what happens. And if we give them the same sort of care and nurture the film marketing wise, or show that the studio, the distributor gives a shit about it, because that's the thing about a small distributor like a two four is you can tell that company cares about every movie they're putting out because they have to, their, their business depends on it. And now the big studios, they just, they, they are going for the easiest, laziest thing. And it's almost like, 
it's just frustrating because it, it also makes me think of Midnight Special again, where it's like, I'm sure there's probably all kinds of complicated reasons why Warner Brothers just gave up on that movie, but that's what they did. And that movie had a lower budget, but yet played like a big budget movie. Yeah. And why couldn't it make money? Like, why did it grow significantly less than Jeff Nichols' previous movie, Mud, which was a tiny little movie? Sure, it had Matthew McConaughey in it, but... Um, that's mind boggling to me that, well, that that happened. Well, I think cause like there's, there's just like a gradual speeding up that's happening. So it's like, even within the span of, cause mud came out in 2012. I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like the, the gap like closes, it's so fast and things accelerate so quickly that it's like there potentially was an audience that was still going to movies then that's not really active as much anymore within the span of four years, you know, like that's, which is frightening. It may be inaccurate, but I kind of feel like that's true that it's just like the, the audience is starting to dwindle. Maybe those people, you know, have, have settled down. They're not going out as much anymore. Mm -hmm. If they were families, they'd be going to see uh, the secret life of pets last weekend or any of the family fair that seems to be dominating. But like, yeah, I just feel like, you know, the, the same way we talk about 2010 when you and I met and like how that year was a, like what, what happened? Like how, how are these movies? Like, like these movies are insane that they got made. Like black mm-hmm. Swan was a hit and true grit was number one for two or three weeks. The fighter was a big movie. Yeah. A uh, big uh, social network grossed a lot. And you know, all these were the best picture nominees that made lots of money. Yeah. And that, and that world in that time feels like insanely far away, even though it was only six years ago. So I think it's possible that like mud being a hit is like that audience is gone now, you know? And like, and so you, I, I heard things from friends who like who, you know, w- went to see Midnight Special, but they're like, yeah, no, nobody knows what it is. And it's just like, what? Yeah, but it like the, the promotional material that was out there, because to say that Warner Brothers like abandoned it is like true to a certain extent, but they got this movie made and they put it out there. True. And there's only so much they can do without sort of like depth charging the entire effort if they're going to sink as much money into promoting it as like bbs doj so glad that that i'm <laughs> still intact it's great to be fired out at any given second but if like and it didn't do well that would be fucking catastrophic so it's just like they gave it as much as they could and i thought all the trailers and promotional material was intriguing Maybe it's because I knew kind of what the movie was about and I knew the filmmaker's pedigree and I knew I was already pre-intrigued. I was the choir that they were preaching to. I was already converted. But I still think that like all that stuff was effective. It was effective in the sense that it was like baiting you and intriguing you to see something that wasn't going to show you its whole hand right away. And like if that doesn't – like you're, you were saying that audiences are smarter this year – like on a glass half empty kind of level, I think that like may, maybe you're right, but I also think that they're just not there. They're not alert and they're too lethargic to go to stuff. So yeah. it's like not going to the shitty big movies. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily more discerning. I think they're just like lethargic and stealing more. <laughs> and I don't even think <laughs> I don't even think the big movies this year are really th- this is to me the most disheartening thing is the biggest movies are the big uh Captain America was the biggest movie now that was only a couple of months ago that that came out Can right you, i i can't i can't find a whisper of anybody that gives a shit anymore no. and talks no, about it is, yeah like movies that are that predictable and that sort of like you're giving the audience what they what they want they know exactly what they're going to get like the, they'll show up now but I think like the curiosity dies eventually, mm-hmm. you know, because like because they're not talking about it, because things don't hang in the air as long anymore because there's too much. There's too much stuff constantly pushing stuff out of the way, you know, like it's just this constant kind of assembly line of stuff. Just thinking about like decades ago, how long movies would play, you know, like. The second run culture in uh, in Portland, I think, is really beautiful because, like, you get movies like you know, we we talked about like I wish Green Room would have that kind of like life where it could 
continue playing. Well, like it was playing at the Laurelhurst for like I don't know if it still is, but it was playing like a it couple was. months after it came out. It and was, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That's that's great, but that's not everywhere. That's hardly anywhere anymore. That there's that sort of like sense of a second life and a second run theater, you know, that are like half art house, half just like you know old older theatrical releases, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like so just thinking about eras where that was possible where movies could play for a year and like they could really like resonate and they could be the sleeper hits could exist like that's not possible anymore like there are no there's no like i don't know what that is like people don't like know what a sleeper hit is because it's just not possible anymore mm, yeah. You know? yeah you know what else i've noticed too is i i'm making a big assumption here but i don't get the sense that people watch movies again and again and love them in a way. And it feeds into the, what we're saying about Captain America or these movies that have a very, even the biggest movie of the year, Captain America has a very short shelf life in theaters. And it's, it's exactly what Marvel designed and wants exactly because you got your, you got your cheeseburger in May and you'll get your next one. It's going to taste just like that one when you get the next one. And and there's, I think another Marvel movie coming in the fall. I think Uh, it doesn't matter who gives a shit. It's just the next one. And I I know this is a point that we've like hit on in the previous state of the industry talks Mm -hmm. and it's, it's worth reiterating, but like, uh, our good, good friend and friend of the show, Ted Herleman like brought up that he was like, you people, People they don't care about you rewatching a movie. They want you there for the sequel. Yep. So it's just like so an, an individual movie doesn't stand as a uh, an enduring piece of art. It just is like this thing that's baiting you to the next thing, this installment plan, and like that 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 cheapens the experience and just is has a deadening effect. I think to a potency of any art form. Mm. It does. You know? Yeah, no, I, I think we're really starting to see audiences, you know, it's we don't think about it in the moment, but we are being trained or shown how movies are by the big mainstream movies, because those are the movies that most people see. And yeah. the audiences are being trained to forget to it doesn't matter. And right. Um, I get I get really passionate and ranty when I, friends are like, no, no, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that's like this era's Star Wars, but it's like no, it's not because people don't care about those movies like they did about Star Wars. Yeah. Was this obsession? Now it, that came that created this era, but like that also had those movies played forever and people obsessed over them, saw them again and again and again because there were reasons to go back. Jaws, the original Jaws, like. I can watch that movie hundreds of times in my life and will continue to do so because it's a rich movie and it's also thrilling and gives you those moments, gives you big stakes and action and thrills, all that stuff you want from a movie, but also a reason to keep going back because that's really what you and I, a big part of what we're about is like the obsessing over just certain movies that, that deserve it, you know? And I I don't notice a lot of that happening in the audiences these days. So while I, yeah, I said earlier, I, yeah, everybody seems to be getting smarter, which is a really promising thing. I'm not really seeing the discussion about movies that, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter to people as much anymore. I, and, well, yeah, yeah. I think in a, in a previous state of the industry talk, it was like the idea that because it's being consumed in a certain way. It will be manufactured in a certain way accordingly. It's like a feedback loop where it's like it's constantly feeding back into itself. And it's just like because people don't care, why would you take the time to craft a world with consequence and with stakes and with character development and take time to the, the craft of the performances in it if it's being forgotten instantaneously, mm-hmm. you know? So like the sense of like the, those, the movies that became the blockbusters that then were the model that changed the studio system decades later. Like you, you watch those, like the one, like Jaws, for instance, it was on uh, the 4th of July this last weekend. It was on TV and oh, it was nice. just like, did you watch it? Yeah. I caught a, a good section of it. And like that's, it's a slow building movie that like, because it's slow building, the payoffs are gigantic. Mm. And like pe- people just like that seem to be like, well, people can't wait for the, they can't wait for the build. They just need the payoff. 
And like those were those movies were argued as like, oh, these movies are all all peak, no valley. And it's just like now it's just like the peaks <laughs> of the peaks of the peaks of the peaks. And because of that, we're like our our sense of involvement diminishes and that we like we're not connected. Like people have been saying like how I think discerning people will look at a, a Marvel movie or a BVS DOJ and feel like the action is some of the most boring parts in the movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, that's just not the case with Jaws. When, when like you get to the sec- sections where like you're losing a member, like you're losing a character entirely, mm-hmm. it's devastating. And like, you're like, you can't like, it's insane making the build that it, and the crescendo that it gets to. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't happen as much anymore, except in the smaller movies that we're talking about, except in the midnight specials and the green rooms where it's like, because they're working, they're, they're working on a smaller scale. They have to go back to like the, the origins of what works. And that's character, that's story. And they have to rely on what's then and there and what's going to hook people. Mm-hmm. And like all of that's classic formula, you know, and it's done like insanely well, but no I, one's seeing them. No one's see- <laughs> no? And I think we're seeing that in the filmmaking a lot in these big movies. It's like, well, you know, people are going to see this movie anyway. Like, you know, okay, I'll give credit. The Marvel movies, like, they look, they there's money on screen. They clearly spend it. But, like, there's nothing, there's almost never anything that's really so remarkable that it ingrains itself in your memory. Like, oh, remember that? It's like, no, nah, it, it just, it, everything feels kind of perfunctory. And the character work is even worse in that sense because they're trying to lay down these tracks for the future movies, right? All the stuff that keeps you coming back. Yeah. But it feels, they have to play it safe. Exactly. And it, and exactly. And none of those movies in the past, like the movies that they're, you know, Jaws and star Wars, the originals, like Raiders of the lost Ark, ET they're they're Everything is inspired or was created. The system we're in now from those, but we're the studios are constantly taking it's that old thing like they're constantly taking the wrong lessons from it yeah. and marvel has impressively built an empire with disney uh, of their movies but um nobody is going to nobody cares it's only been like a well, decade well things aren't going to build off this it feels like yeah they're, yeah. they're th- this right. sort of right. current model and crop of a type of movie like nothing's going to it doesn't feel like anything's going to come out of it. You know what I mean? Like and that's that could be incredibly like narrow-minded and short-sighted. I don't know. We don't know yet, but it doesn't feel like there's it just feels so derivative itself that like for anything to kind of come out of it or it, or not even derivative, it just feels like so deadeningly predictable that it's like there's nothing there's there isn't that spark that we're talking about. There isn't that hunger for more. Mm-hmm. I you mean, know, there's just a familiarity where it's like, I know what that is. I guess I'll go see that again. If it, if it hasn't pissed you off because you're such a beloved fan of the original. Exactly. It's like back yeah. to the Ghostbusters thing is like, like that, that's what frustrates me. Of course I said, I haven't seen the movie yet, but what's frustrating about this being the thing that's got the cultural movie conversation right now is that it doesn't, why does this deserve that? Like it's, 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 it's like fan service has become this ugly reality in these movies where, um, it's kind of patronizing that, okay, yay, we've got a new ghostbusters and how exciting that it's now a chance for women to lead this movie. And that, that's so that's great because they should get more opportunities, but it's patronizing in a fan servicey way where, Oh, but what did they do? They plugged in three white women and one black woman just to remind you exactly of what, what it was before. So it's like one step forward kind of, and two steps back. Like, I think that's really patronizing and lame fan service that like each, um, from some of the reviews I read, uh, Rodrigo Perez, uh, at the playlist wrote his review that published on Sunday. And he mentioned that each character, each actress in this new one is filling in the same role as each previous actor in the original and that is that is just boring and you know you set off mike it's patronizing in a way that um you know i it also just 
pops in my mind that like a big problem I had with Prometheus is like by the end of that movie, it just became a sort of odd fan service. Like let's connect it now to the alien series. And it didn't need, I don't know. It's just, yeah, even that, even that, like it's interesting. Like Prometheus feels like visionary compared to (laughs) a lot of the stuff coming out now. Even though I didn't like it, I kind of agree. Yeah. Really? Like Ridley Scott did his job. It's a good-looking movie. It's an idiotic script, like that's barely resuscitated by its cast that's trying really hard. But all the characters in it that you're kind of touching on, like they they're they're all like types that like you don't get the sense that they're they're kind of like labored over types in Aliens. Yeah, yeah. you know, like they because they all come to life instantaneously and they're all introduced effortlessly. And it's like if you if you're not if that doesn't jump off the page in the script writing phase of a Ghostbusters revisioning, then like don't don't do it. Then give give like the capable actresses something that is alive in its own way. And again, we don't know. We haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Once we see it, maybe we'll be able to talk about it. But like it until then, it it does kind of like stink of a, a patronizing quality. Mm-hmm. It's like bridesmaids. Felt like that was uh, five years ago. God, it feels like forever ago. Yeah, and like granted, that's a movie about marriage and like weddings, which seem to be a big trope, like you know, in sort of like the romantic comedy realm. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's something kind of traditionalist about that, but it felt as an ensemble like it was a great showcase for original like women's voices. And it was like, that's great. It's directed by a man, sure. But, like, he seems to be a champion of, like, getting comedic voices, like, up and out front, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, well, shit. Now, we've talked about it enough. Now I feel like it's it's our duty to see the movie, to discuss it and give it a fair shake. Yeah, I think we do. I think we do. Next and- episode solved. <laughs> exactly. We've got that on the docket. Because... You know, I, I, a, a recent, uh, you and I are big on like, we love to, we live in two very good cities for it, for repertory screenings. And yeah. I, I saw the original alien only recently. There's a student run cinema here in Portland, uh, just run by Portland state university students where they show 35 millimeter prints and they showed alien, the original alien on 35. So I saw a print of that recently and it, it was phenomenal, uh, Uh, as that film always is, but it it makes me think of like that movie had some negative reviews when it came out because a lot of people were like, Oh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a monster movie. It's just a haunted horror movie, you know, a haunted house horror movie set in space. Right. It it got some negative reviews at the time for that because it felt familiar, but it's just sort of a window dressing new, new, new dressing on top of it. But that movie, even though, at that time was being knocked a little bit by some critics for being overly familiar and just sort of like surface level new. It did surprise you. Like you didn't know that Sigourney Weaver would survive at the end of that movie. That would never have occurred to you if you were watching that movie. Spoiler alert. And the cat. Yes, of course. Honestly, if only the cat lives, I kind of want to see that horror movie where only the animal lives. That'd be amazing. I think you need to make that movie, Joe. Kickstarter. <laughs> exactly. And it's just so like if it gets back to what you're saying about the Ghostbusters movie, like it, if they're going to remake it, there should be a reason that the familiarity has to breed some surprise for us. But that is not what we're getting. We need right. the surprise. Absolutely. Yeah, we need we need there needs to be an urgency to a take that like justified its existence. And like, you know, with remakes, uh and like covering new territory, maybe it wasn't necessarily like maybe looking at the fly with like David Cronenberg's the fly. Like there feels like there's an urgency to that take to that, like that worldview that justified rehashing something that was familiar. I mean, at that point the original fly was like so far in their cultural rear view mirror that people are like, huh, what, what movie with who? <laughs> Vincent, what? And then, you know, so that like you could kind of blindside people with a new frightening, grotesque vision, but there felt like those remakes in the eighties felt like there was a new urgent take that was demanding a second look that I just don't get that. I don't get that sense with sequels anymore where it's like, 
why, like, why, why do we need another one? Well, because people were interested in the first one. I was like, yeah, but if the screenwriter or whatever screenwriter took on the helm of the second one didn't feel an overwhelming urgency to do it, then why are we doing it? Just this, just today, uh, Mark Maron's new podcast, uh, the new WTF, he taught, he announced spoiler alert for the episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, he announced that he wasn't going to do any more seasons of Marin. His oh, teach. Wow. Cause it, cause of that reason, he was just like, the show feels done. I don't want to run it into the earth. I don't want to turn it into shit just because it's something I could do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, he's already a very respectable person, but I was just like, that's great. That's great that someone's vocalizing that out there in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just like when a story is done, it's done. You don't need to run it into the earth. It's worth bringing up Swiss Army Man because it's like here it is a movie that a24 had a lot of confidence in a couple weeks ago because yeah. it had a good limited release. They expanded it to the level of screens, I think even more than like what Neon Demon just opened with. Right. Um, and they kind of like the movie's doing okay. Swiss Army Man, I think uh, last I looked, it was over three million, which I'm sure I don't know the budget on it, but it I'm sure is relatively low. Yeah. And um, in some ways, it's an accomplishment. It's a big accomplishment that A24 could get a movie that weird and get it into that many screens and then at least get people to see it like $3 million is nothing to sneeze at for a movie like that. And it also gets back to like what Alex Ross Perry was saying in his article about the neon demon is like that. That's nothing to sneeze at that the neon demon made a million dollars, but it's all painted in the same um, failure. Like Swiss army man is sort of people are saying like, Oh, it failed once they went wide, you know, the audience wasn't there, but it's like, is that really a f- – I mean, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it feels like it didn't used to be viewed that way. And I think in that article, Alex Ross Perry cites Mulholland Drive like being being a movie because it's you know totally similar to The Neon Demon. But it like – it didn't make a, a lot of money. It was – but it was still eventually was seen as like a success, I think. But like Mulholland Drive was kind of expensive for the type of movie it is. I feel, I feel like it was like $10 million or something like that. Mm. And then it, it slowly made its money back. And, like, we, I mean, year after year, people just become more box office obsessed and, like, labeling, like, a movie this or that. Like, oh, that's a failure. Oh, it's a runaway hit. Like, it. so this need to label stuff is, a, is like, has been a problem, I feel like. Mm. And you're just toe-tagging movies. It's like, that's it. That's it for that movie. Over. And it's just like, well, things can have a life. And they're, they used to be able to, that's why like we, you know, mentioned sleeper hits, like things used to be able to slowly over time, pick up interest and gain a momentum that feels like as the, the dollar bin gets more and more crowded, like that becomes less of a possibility, but we still don't know, you know, and like a two four, I think is banking on innovative voices as, as a way to sustain through what feels ultimately like a dead end and what people are forecasting as a dead end. Like, it's the death of the theatrical experience. It's the death of movies. Like, you know, like, what's going to, whatever is going to take its place, whatever sort of short attention span media is going to usurp it. But it's like, they're, A24 seems to love movies and like they're investing in what's going to sustain it. And that's like original visions. And with this, like, you know, I was skeptical with Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One, because I had worked on a script that involved a uh, farting corpse. And it was just like, well, that's over with now that I know that that's out there. Um, no shit. But uh-huh. <laughs> I can put that on mic now. Um, but, um, but because it had, like, walkouts at uh Sundance like you know like that that was noted same with box office reports once a movie's out like walkouts become like a big thing or booing at con you know mm-hmm. like that's a that's a big thing to sort of report about mm-hmm. so I was a little skeptical I was like oh maybe this movie is just zany for the sake of zany but then I realized like who had made it and they had made the the little John video turned down for what and the short film interesting ball <laughs> and so they touch like those filmmakers like they're, the Daniels, they're fucking exciting yeah. directors. Like they, they make stuff that like the the best. I think in, in, you reviewed the movie recently, and you were like, it's it's still it's very indebted to the work of like other music video directors like Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones, mm-hmm. and they're able to elicit a similar sense of like wonder 
dread, you know, infantile humor and just like, but there's like, what, what really was exciting to me was like, you could take this base joke, same with the interesting ball, like their short film. That's like a sort of Magnolia esque interconnection of all these different stories. And they're all absurd, but they have this heart to each segment. That's like, you're laughing hysterically at the dark humor, but there's an ache at the core of it that you're trying to reconcile these two. And like, that's really tricky to pull off. Mm. Like we talked about comedies several episodes ago with Keanu um, and just how, how comedy itself is hard to pull off, but to pull off like a truly unique tone is insane. Mm. Like it's, it's really hard, especially in a landscape where everything's becoming atonal and monotonous and homogenized. Like, I think that's why this and the lobster become more enticing to people who are more inclined to less conventional movies. Because like, if I'm going to go to the movies, it has to be the thing that like people are going to talk about. And like, I think Swiss army man, you know, even with its flaws is worth talking about because it does pull off this insane tone and like even in the the sort of the the landscape it lives in, which is the sort of mid level to smaller movie, like most of those movies feel the tone predominant in them is doom. Mm-hmm. Like there's just there's so many like A two four releases for that matter. Like Green Room could be argued as just a doomed movie. The Witch, like to me, was I think detrimentally doom focused, mm. and like we know what that feels like, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of like. I know every inch of doom and I think as fucked as the world is right now, it's worth reconciling with doom because that's how we feel. Mm -hmm. But it also in the, in the interest of variety, this movie had a kind of berserk hope to it. Mm -hmm. And I felt myself like feeling happy through it. And it's a movie that like looks at something incredibly morbid, but keeps this buoyancy, no pun intended to it. That's like, that's a, it's just a strange like sleight of hand. And I yeah. think that like it's variety is well worth like visiting. I think. No, I think so too. I mean, in, and I'm not nearly as big on the movie as you are only because I felt the familiarity of the style. Yeah. Like so much of it felt like, you know, patched together in the way that Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones had like really helped innovate or sort of, you know, make it their specific style. And, um, it felt a little cutesy at time, like a Wes Anderson movie. And I also thought, okay, the Paul Dano character feels like a familiar type, you know, this sort of, um, man child that's like just you know he's just he's so shy he just he can't talk to that girl i feel like that's a familiar thing but even though i'm in the middle on this movie which is strange because this is a movie that's excitingly uh sort of divisive in a way that's similar to a neon demon type movie where um you know people usually either hate it or love it because they embrace the weirdness or they are like repelled by it but i even though I'm sort of like in the middle of this movie, Swiss army man is something I had to go see at the theater. Like as soon as it opened in Portland and I'm glad I did because it, no matter what, okay, my review or my, you know, reductive star rating might be in it. It's like that movie showed me things I haven't seen in a cinema before. And part of the excitement for me is seeing some of the, I was, uh, I think in the first show of Friday when it opened mm-hmm. and there were probably only a dozen other people. Majority of them are senior citizens that are probably just going to the new movie that they know nothing about. I kind of love that, that unease. Yeah. It's like you're on, you're on shaky ground, you know, and it makes it exciting. It's a reason to go to the goddamn theater and yeah. it's part of the experience. And then you see some people walk out and I love that. It, it makes me like root for the movie. Even if I'm like, kind of just like, eh, in the middle on it. Like I want that experience so much more than uh, a, a deadening lifeless um, sort of rote, give you what you expect experience. Like I'll always prefer that. And Swiss army man does belong on a big screen, just like yeah. the neon demon. When, when the movie made me laugh, I mean, I, I had that also great moment where I felt like I might've been the only one in the theater yeah. laughing, but I kind of love that. Like we've had experiences where we see movies together and it's like, we're the only ones digging this, but it's kind of thrilling. I, I don't know. I don't, 
I want to, that in the audience. I want to see people. I mean, that's a reason alone to experience Swiss Army Man. Yeah, I, I kind of had the opposite experience where I saw it, where the Daniels were giving a and a So the theater was like, it was in the Cinerama Dome. So it was a giant theater packed and like everybody was kind of like on board with it, even though like nothing can really prepare you like for it. Yeah. For it. Yeah. Like even the trailer giving away so much of the movie, yeah, it still is kind of like there's such an otherness to it. That like so everybody was like super enthusiastic about it. I didn't see any walkouts, and like they, he, the filmmakers had everybody stand up right before the movie started and introduce themselves to their neighbors, church style, which I thought was really adorable. <laughs> but like I think, you know, I, filmmakers like I, I, I'm really excited to see what they do next. You know, just because me too. It's so it's so singular. It's so specific, like what they do. And like they were talking about as they were making the movie that they really had no guide as to like the the tone because like it was so specific what they were working with. And even as they're kind of indebted to filmmakers like Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones, like, you know, the those Michelle Gondry has been like he's kind of marginalized. Like he makes smaller and smaller movies, mm-hmm. most of which like people don't even know they've come out by the time they come out. He's got a new one out this summer, in fact. And so like the, that dent that they made is like, you know, who, who know like it, if someone is going to sort of like traffic in the same territory, I'm very excited for it to be the Daniels, you know, cause it's yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if those guys are going to continue to make the type of work that they made initially that sort of kicked down that door. Right. You know. If the torch is being passed, I want them to be the ones that take it for sure. Yeah. Like I, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I want to see what these guys do next. And, um, it's what I, I think that's what you're saying. There's a vision there. They are doing their thing and it's, it, it is like, it needs to be nurtured and I hope it can be. And I think Swiss army man, when you, if you, if we were like, I think people in the business side of things, they're that like I'm sure A24 is probably they would have probably liked to make more money off of Swiss Army Man than it ultimately did when it went wider. But I bet they're they're pretty. I don't know. There's not. It's it's not a bad run that that movie's having. Like yeah. pe- people are seeing it and it's it it's being talked about. You know, right. that's that is positive. And I, I I just hope these filmmakers can be nurtured and don't have to get sucked into a really dull system that will that will dull all the edges in their style. They were at the Q and a, they were talking about, I think you might appreciate this. They like, as, uh, their short film and short films and their videos, like got more and more traction. And there was like a heat around them. They were taking all these meetings and they were getting so, so bored with like what was being sort of pitched to them that they were, they would, they were doing exactly what we're talking about with like give throwing curveballs where they're just like, they will never make this movie. Let's see. And so they're like, one of the pitches was Swiss army man where they're like, well, it's this guy stranded on an Island and the, his only friend is a farting corpse. And then they, you know, discover the complexities of life and people are like, (laughs) but seriously, do you want to make the new Spider-Man movie? And so, (laughs) and then eventually someone was like, I like that why don't you guys make that movie? And like, you know, then financing came together. And so it was just like, it was out of this kind of, uh, this, like the spirit of rebellion that this movie got made. And there was other pitches that were like, you know, similarly insane. And so it was just like that, that spirit needs to be alive and well in, you know, a landscape that's getting so, like homogenize into a deadening sameness. Yeah. That's that spirit is what's going to bring us into hopefully there'll be some reaction to these big movies. Like, you know, in the seventies there, or even in the sixties when it really spurt, when it created what the seventies became in Hollywood movies, it's like there was these reactions to these same types of boring musicals, Westerns, you know, very common yeah. Hollywood output. And, I do feel, and maybe it's just an optimistic, I need to have some optimistic viewpoint of it is like, we need filmmakers like Daniels and Nicholas Winning Refn and Jeremy Saulnier, Jeff Nichols, these filmmakers, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, like we need them to be nurtured so we can maybe have a, 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 an, a like an actual counter to, because the, 
as this summer is proving, like, I think the bottom's going to fall out on these movies at some point, these large movies. So, um, I just, I hope, I hope it can happen. I, I need, I need to feel some hope. You know, it was also great with seeing that in the Cinerama Dome was getting to see also A24's trailer for Andrea Arnold's American Honey coming oh, out this fall. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which like she, she's another person that like, I can't wait to see what she does next. Oh my God. Absolutely. That was one of the big films that can, it won, I think it essentially was like awarded third prize or the grand jury prize or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Andrea Arnold, you know, um, a filmmaker that I want to see more of. And I'm glad I can't wait for that film. That looks, that one looks awesome. All three hours of it. I hear it's almost three hours long, but all right. (laughs) Soon enough. (laughs) Exactly. Well, uh, what do you say? Should we wrap this one up? Yeah. I feel, I feel good. I feel better, man. I really do. It's good to expunge the, the dark feelings, the, the, you know, just the lack. We just, yeah, it's good to just talk it out. Always good to talk it out. Um, so yeah, I do feel better, better than I did an hour and a half ago. That's for sure. (laughs) I hope you do too. Well, yeah, so let's wrap up episode uh, 134 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, As I mentioned earlier in the show, we are brought to you by theplaylist.net. You can find all our shows, uh, all our current AYT episodes, plus our um, our, sister podcasts uh, over under movies. Uh, We brought up Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry just only recently. And our last episode of Over Under Movies, we uh, talked about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Adaptation. So both those directors are being represented in the other shows on the playlist podcast network. And there's also the playlist podcast, which at some point I got to come up with a better title or a new title for that one. I think, um, uh, at the urging of super producer drew Walner, he said, we need to make something different. We'll see, we'll see what'll happen. But for now, that's just kind of like an interview show. And, uh, or, you know, I, I bring on other guests from the, from the playlist or guests on other blogs to just talk about anything else that isn't covered on the other podcasts. So you can find all those shows on iTunes at the playlist podcast. Uh, another, you know, house cleaning thing to get out there is we will separate those feeds. Eventually we, we do already have a separate AYT feed. So if you're on subscribe to that, maybe keep it for now. Um, cause it'll become the sole, uh, iTunes spot for, for that. Um, you can also find us on SoundCloud. Um, how can people How can people reach out to us, Joe? Oh, um, well, you can follow us on Twitter at Adjust Your Track. Um, we're also on Facebook um, with all of your grandparents. So, uh, <laughs> like our page, we'll keep you updated on um, you know when when episodes are dropping. Uh, and even more old fashioned, you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail That's true. That's true. You can find us there. And, you know, we need to we need to thank our super producer, Drew Walner, and, of course, thank uh, Rodrigo Perez, editor-in-chief of The Playlist, and everybody else there that uh, contributes to the website. Um, we, we thank them for their efforts. But, uh, like I said, I feel, I feel so much better on this episode after talking, Joe. So, you know, thanks for chatting with me. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>